Welcome to the Retirement Made Easy podcast, a show created to be your go-to source for straightforward retirement advice. Best of all, it is presented in a language that you can understand. Are you ready for some straight talk on retirement planning without all the fluff? Well, you've found the right podcast. Here's your host, certified financial planner, Greg Gonzalez. Welcome to another episode of the Retirement Made Easy podcast. I'm Greg Gonzalez. If you're a new listener to the podcast, I am a retirement planner in St. Louis, Missouri, with clients in about 20 different states. And the primary focus of my firm, St. Louis Retirement Advisors, is helping people plan for a successful retirement and really helping them make better decisions when it comes to their retirement planning. But the primary goal of this podcast, the Retirement Made Easy podcast, is to help our listeners plan for a more successful retirement by sharing tips and strategies and all the wisdom that we've learned along the way. So if you are a new listener, I've got good news. I'm not trying to sell you on anything. I'm not trying to sell you a product or steer you in any direction. I'm here to give you good information that you can utilize for your own retirement planning, and hopefully you can learn a thing or two along the way. This is episode number 123, so that means there's 122 previous episodes out there for you to enjoy. And on today's episode, I wanted to kind of go over some of the questions that we've been getting, not only in conversations on retirement coaching calls, but also emails and questions that are submitted, either emailed in or a lot of people go to our website, retirementmadeeasypodcast.com, and they submit their question. At the very bottom, it says, ask Greg a question. So as long as I keep receiving these questions, not only from listeners, but, but our clients here at St. Louis Retirement Advisors, I'm going to continue sharing these topics because I think there's a lot of other people that can benefit from hearing these questions that are asked and then, of course, hearing my responses or answers to these questions that are posed to me. And believe me, I am not arrogant enough to say that, oh, I know answers to anything retirement or anything retirement related. Hey, come to me. I'm not going to say that because a lot of times, no, I have to go and do research and look it up. And I really enjoy learning as well. Because that's what keeps that fire lit inside my heart, because I'm so passionate about retirement planning. Just like Tom Brady is passionate about football, Tom Brady once said, I'll stop taking the test when I know all the answers. How good is that? Tom Brady keeps playing football because he loves it. He's been to the Super Bowl more times than any NFL player, 10 times. He's won seven Super Bowl rings. And even he admits that he doesn't know it all. He doesn't know all the answers. So I don't know all the answers when it comes to retirement planning, but kind of like a mechanic who has worked on hundreds of cars, you learn a thing or two along the way, and you can probably teach someone just based on all that experience and wisdom that you've uh, developed over the years. So that's what we'll do on today's episode of the Retirement Made Easy podcast. Let's jump right into it. But before we do, I wanted to remind listeners, check out my website, retirementmadeeasypodcast.com. I've got free resources available, and a lot of you have already taken me up on my offer of my 30-minute retirement coaching call. You can do that right there on the website. First couple questions actually came from some retirement coaching calls that I did with people. The first guy was a very interesting guy, very nice guy. I enjoyed our conversation. 
But he was going back to the, his question was about the the 4% rule and how that works. He said, well, if I have a million dollars in my 401k and I just go off of the the 4% rule, so a million dollars, really simple math, 4% of that is $40,000 that he can take as a withdrawal every year. And he said he was very, very hesitant about investing that million dollar 401k because the money would last him without any growth at all. It would last him 25 years. If you take a 4% withdrawal of 40,000 out of that million dollar IRA, that would last 20 years with no growth from the million dollars. And he asked me, he said, well, try to convince me that I should invest that money and listen, I can explain why there's a better strategy, but I'm, I'm not going to try to force somebody or convince them otherwise. They're going to do what they want to do. And that's okay. That's on them. But conceptually, he's right. If that million dollars does not grow at all, yes, we can take $40,000 withdrawal every single year for 25 years. And then hypothetically, in that example, the million dollars would be depleted. So my first question would be, well, what happens if we live more than 25 years? There's no more money. So I go back to my retirement story that everyone would benefit from listening to. Go all the way back and you look at episode or listen to episode number six if you're interested. And what it tells, it tells a story of the average couple in the United States that retires. And so we know Social Security will tell you the average age of the American retiree is age 62. So if you look at a couple, and I'm going to assume that they're both 62 and they're both non-smokers, then we can say, okay, if the average person is retiring at 62, how long are they going to make it? And if you look at the life expectancy for a 62-year-old non-smoking couple, it's 30 years, meaning the wife is predicted to make it until 92, given the fact that we're working with an American 62-year-old non-smoking couple. If you look at actuary tables, you will find that women outlive men on average by around five years. So for the average couple, we're looking at a 30-year retirement. And you have to take it one step further and say, am I that average 62-year-old non-smoking couple? Average? Are you? If you have access to good health insurance, good health care, if you've got good genes in your family, you're likely to make it past 92. But I'm just going to say, okay, we're working with the average 62-year-old retired couple. So we need an income that's going to last 30 years or possibly more. So in this gentleman's uh, example, if he had a million dollars taken 4%, it's only going to last 25 years. And my big problem, or I think the big challenge that most people that are taking a step into retirement haven't yet noticed is that when you're retired, every year, everything you buy will cost more. If you look at inflation over the past 30 years, it's going to average about two and a half, three percent. So this caller, very, very nice guy. I really like the way he thinks because it got me to thinking. But if he's taking a $40,000 withdrawal out of this 401k, that may work well for the first year. But when his costs of living, when all of his expenses go up on average 3% a year, he's either going to have to th start spending 3% less every year, somehow, some way, cut his budget maybe, or he's going to realize pretty quickly, hey, that $40,000 withdrawal doesn't go as far as it did in the early years of retirement. So in my eyes, the goal of a successful retirement 
is living comfortably in retirement with a lifestyle sustaining income, one that keeps up with the rising cost of living. And in his example, I don't think it's going to be a lifestyle sustaining income because living on a fixed $40,000 for the next 30 years will not help you accomplish that. And not only that, it only lasts for 25 years. At the end of the 25 years, your 401k is down to zero in his example. And and guess what? During that 25-year period, your expenses, because of inflation, have doubled. But your income, that $40,000, has remained constant. So that just seems like a recipe for failure. So yes, conceptually, taking out a 4% withdrawal from your principal over 25 years, that will work. But realistically, my entire life experience tells me that you're going to need the money likely for longer than 25 years, and the cost of living inflation is going to continue to eat you up. So I think his strategy, like I said, conceptually, it it makes total sense. But the problem is, is inflation. When you're 62 and a box of Cheerios costs $4, and then when you're 92, a box of Cheerios, same box of Cheerios, costs over nine bucks based on a 3% inflation, you will one day look back and say, ah, it was inflation. It was the rising cost of living that got me. It was not the other things that I was afraid of, like the volatility in the stock market or bond market or the costs I was paying for my mutual funds or index funds. And on that same phone call, that gentleman's wife had a question about how the match on a 401k worked. She was under the impression or somebody told her that that million dollar 401k, if he were to leave his job, he could roll it into the new 401k. And if that 401k had a match of 5%, that the company would match that million dollar existing 401k with 5%. So that's 50 grand that they would add to that 401k balance. So by moving it from the old 401k to the new 401k, it would go up $50,000. She was misinformed. So that 5% match only applies to payroll deduction contributions. So really simply, if if he makes a $100,000 salary, he contributes 5% to his 401k, which 5% of $100,000 salary is $5,000 per year. They would match it with $5,000, and it's like a 100% rate of return on your money, that match. It's, it's A lot of people call it free money, but the company is not going to match what you roll over from an old 401k into your new 401k. I mean, that would break the bank for them, probably. But I like when people ask these questions because they may hear different things from coworkers or the know-it-all brother-in-law or whoever it is. So if you do have questions and you don't want to be embarrassed by asking them, again, my website is retirementmadeeasypodcast.com. At the very bottom, it says, ask Greg a question. This is going to remain anonymous this entire episode. I'm not going to give people's names or any of their information because not only is there no point in it, but I don't want to prevent people from submitting questions that could help them out because they think I'm going to use their name on a podcast. The next question came from a listener asking about the different options as far as health insurance, should she want to retire early? And there are a lot of options to kind of look at. I would recommend, you know, talking to your financial planner and maybe a health insurance specialist. I've said many times on this podcast, 
I have a lot of people that want to retire at 63 and a half. If they have health insurance through their employer, they can jump on COBRA for those 18 months. Then at 65, they're automatically eligible for Medicare. Why wouldn't you want to do that? Well, COBRA is expensive. For those 18 months, guess what? You got to pay the full premium. And if your employer was paying a lot of that premium, or maybe it was half of it, you'll have to pay that entire cost. The good news is, is you know what kind of health insurance you have already while you're working, and you'll have that for the next 18 months to bridge the gap to get you to age 65, where you can jump on Medicare. The good news is for your spouse, the way COBRA works, or any dependent children, and again, depending on their age, they will be able to be covered through COBRA for 36 months. So COBRA is an option for people. Also, you can purchase private health insurance. And again, you'll want to run a quote on that. I've seen plans, depending on your area, depending on your zip code, I've seen quotes anywhere from $800 a month for good private health insurance to $1,500 a month. And that's per spouse. So it can be a lot of money. It's like another mortgage payment. And health insurance, in my eyes, in my experience, is the number one reason why people delay retirement is because health insurance is so darn expensive. And then the last option, which I'll, I'll bring up, is Obamacare or you know the healthcare exchange. It's income-based. So I have had clients that do utilize Obamacare, and if they're reportable income is low enough, they do get a subsidy, which helps with the monthly premium for their health insurance. Now, that health insurance coverage may not be the best health insurance coverage. It may not be what you're used to with your group health insurance through your employer. So you've got to kind of weigh those disadvantages and advantages. And again, this is not health insurance coverage you're going to have for the rest of your life. It's only until you get to 65 when you're eligible for Medicare. One last thing, I do have, you know, some even some clients that have worked like for Boeing for 35 years and they are still eligible. They're still grandfathered into the old retiree health insurance plan where they can have very affordable health insurance until they're 65. But a lot of these big companies have phased those out over the years and there's not the retiree health insurance coverage like there used to be. So as far as health insurance and how you get that covered in retirement, you kind of got to do your homework and weigh all your options. And it may mean, hey, I'm not going to retire yet. The next question came up in a conversation with a client that had rental properties, right? Residential rental properties. And talking about the taxation of these. And for those that aren't familiar with how rental properties work, one of the advantages, if you own a, a rental property, let's just call it a two-bedroom flat or something like that, that you rent out, this is residential here that I'm talking about. You can, as the, the owner of this rental property, you can depreciate the property over 27 and a half years. What do I mean by that? Well, it essentially reduces the amount of rent, rental income that's taxable because you're depreciating the property itself. Now, what happens when you go to sell that rental property? Guess what? Well, there's depreciation recapture, which means, hey, all of that depreciation is going to come back at you. So you're not just going to have a, a capital gain based on what you bought it for and what you sold it for. 
that depreciation recapture will impact your tax situation as well. This particular couple just kind of wanted to be done with rental properties. They wanted to retire and move closer to their kids and grandkids. And I get it. Who wouldn't want to go to North Carolina? And then as far as selling their house, for a couple, as long as you have lived in your primary residence two of full-time two of the last five years, there's a $500,000 capital gain exclusion. What does that mean? Well, let's say this couple lives in their house for 10 years. They bought it for $200,000. They sell it for $700,000. That's a $500,000 gain. Guess what? They don't have to pay taxes on any of that $500,000 gain because they had lived in the house as a primary residence two of the last five years. What does that mean? Well, if they sold it for anything above a $500,000 gain, yes, then the incremental amount over that $500,000 gain would be subject to capital gain taxes. Another question that was emailed in was where a guy was going to be retiring at the end of 2022. In his plan, he had a a million dollar gain in his company stock. He had worked for the same company his entire career. And his plan was to have no taxable income in 2023. Therefore, he would be in the 0% tax bracket with no income. And his brother told him if he's in the 0, 10, or 12% tax bracket and you have any capital gain, Well, you pay 0% taxes on that capital gain. So his entire million dollar capital gain of that stock would not be taxed at all. There would be zero capital gains on that. And I'm not going to argue with his brother on this, but unfortunately, that's not correct. A portion of that million dollar capital gain will be taxed. There will be a portion that's taxed at the 0% long-term capital gain rate. But I mean, just think about that. Conceptually, if someone had a capital gain, long-term capital gain of $5 million and they had no other earned income, they're going to pay 0% taxes on that $5 million of gains? That's just not how our tax system works, unfortunately. So what I would recommend that this listener do is contact your local CPA or, or tax advisor and ask them, what of this entire million-dollar gain of stock, how much can I sell to pay 0% long-term capital gains, given the fact that I have no other earned income in 2023? And instead of selling the stock all at once, I would sell it in stages and bunches, maybe on an annual basis, so my long-term capital gain was as low as possible. And this is another mistake that I see people make over and over again, is they think in terms of all or nothing. They think, I've got to sell my entire portion of my mutual fund, or I have to sell all of my stock. You can always sell a portion of it now, and then a portion of it later when it may make more sense. Maybe the stock has done really, really well, and you want to kind of take some profits off the table and further diversify by selling a portion. That's okay, you can do that but you don't have to sell all of it if you don't want to. And like I said, it may even help you from a tax standpoint to only sell a portion at a time. Just something to consider. The last question comes from a retirement coaching call. I had a nice discussion with a listener and she didn't understand how the spousal benefit works for divorcees. So to be entitled to the spousal benefit and the survivor benefit on Social Security, there are some rules as far as the eligibility of qualifying for that spousal 
or a survivor benefit from your ex-spouse. And this listener was married to her ex. They'd been divorced quite a while, and she had never remarried, but they were married for eight years. And she was emailing him saying, hey, can you give me a copy of your social security statement? Because I have a meeting with social security, and I need to show them your statement, and I would be able to get half of that. And her ex was not getting back with her, and she was becoming very, very upset. So a couple things here. Number one, as far as the eligibility for a spousal or survivor benefit for divorcees, the magic number is 10 years. You would have had to be married to this person, your ex-spouse, for 10 years or longer. Now, what that means is it doesn't mean that 10 years would have had to have passed since you were divorced. No, no, no. It's you had to have been married to the person for 10 years or longer. An example of this is Mickey Rooney. He passed away a number of years ago. Everybody remembers the the famous actor. He was married eight times, but he was only married to one of those wives, one of his eight eight wives for 10 years or longer. So for his ex-wives, none of them were eligible for the spousal or survivor benefit because they didn't make it eight years married to Mickey Rooney. Only his last wife made it 10 years with Mickey, married to Mickey, and therefore she would be eligible for the spousal and survivor benefit. On the flip side, another story of somebody famous, Johnny Carson, he was married to four women, not at the same time, but all four of his wives he was married to 10 years or longer, and therefore all of his wives would be eligible for the spousal and survivor benefits. So when you go to apply for your social security benefit, all you need is the name, social security number of your ex, bring that to social security, and they'll be able to determine what your spousal or survivor benefit is. You don't need a email your ex and call your ex and all that kind of stuff. Social Security has a history, a record of their earnings history, how much they've paid into Social Security over the years, and they'll be able to calculate that for you. And in fact, your ex-spouse will have no clue. They're not informed if you're even using the spousal benefit. And if you're using the survivor benefit, well, they're already dead. So I hope this episode has been helpful. I know there were a lot of random questions that we covered today, but I think that's kind of what makes it fun sometimes. But if you have questions, visit my website, retirementmadeeasypodcast.com. I come up with these questions and I try to write them down when somebody asks them. And I think to myself, ooh, gosh, that would be a great question to cover on the podcast. So please keep the questions coming. And I will continue to use these questions to share with other listeners on future episodes of the podcast. I'll see you next time. And remember, always dream big. The opinions voiced in this material are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, please consult your attorney, tax advisor, or financial advisor prior to investing. This is a hypothetical example and is not representative of any specific investment. Your results may vary. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All indices mentioned are 
are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. The Smart Vester program is a directory of investment professionals. Neither Dave Ramsey nor Smart Vester are affiliates of St. Louis Retirement Advisors or LPL Financial. There is no guarantee that a diversified portfolio will enhance overall returns or outperform a non-diversified portfolio. Diversification does not protect against market risk. All investing involves risk, including loss of principal. No strategy assures success or protects against loss. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, Memra FINRA, SIPC. Thank you for listening to the show today. Check us out at our website, retirementmadeeasypodcast.com. And if you want some help from Greg, submit your questions at the bottom of the page or sign up for a 30-minute retirement coaching session with Greg. We'll see you next week.